0: Welcome to Radio Tamboa, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message.
1: Today in the studio is uh, Reverend Rogers, and uh, every time you see Reverend Rogers, you definitely want to know that uh, there's something to do with false. <laughs> Not that I am branding him as a false specialist, but <laughs> at least he has, he, has, he, has, uh, he has made matters concerning false and false and false clear. So today still I have Reverend Rogers with me in the Church of Uganda Family TV uh, studios. So Reverend Rogers, how about you greet people?
0: Well, good evening our viewers. It's such a joy for me to be here in the studio of Family TV. And to get to share with you again concerning God's word. And especially concerning God's truth that sets captives free. It's such a joy to be with you tonight. Uh,
1: Thank you. I want to welcome you back. I don't know where you have been, but nevertheless, (laughs) it is good you are back to Uganda, the pearl of Africa. (laughs) So today we'll be looking at teachers, teachers, false teachers. And then uh, we'll look at the spirit, the false spirit. That sometimes moves with the false teachers. And then, before you notice, uh, you will be false if you dare to follow the false teacher. So, uh, Reverend Rogers, who is a a teacher to start with? And then, who uh, is a false teacher to follow with?
0: Okay. Um, When we think about a teacher, we think about somebody who gives instruction, somebody who helps others to learn or to discover things that they didn't know before. So when we talk about a false teacher, we're talking about someone who claims to be a teacher who guides, who instructs, but actually instead of doing what a normal teacher should do, he distorts what should be. And what his listeners or learners end up getting is not what they were supposed to get. So when we talk about false teachers, for instance, in biblical language, we are talking about people who claim to teach the word of god faithfully but on closer scrutiny they actually are teaching things that are far divorced from what scripture teaches even though sometimes they may look like and sound like scripture but in most cases they are distorting or denying or twisting scripture sometimes misinterpreting what the bible says and often misapplying the teaching of the Bible, which is why we call them false teachers. Now
1: we are looking at teachers. Uh, now, for for the benefit of our viewers out there, just to be careful enough, we are not discussing the teachers who are on industrial <laughs> who, who who are on strike. <laughs> no, no, no we are not. We are not looking at, looking at those. We are looking at something else we are looking at teachers of the word teachers mm. in the church mm. in the christian setting so mm. that is what we are uh, paying attention to leave mm. alone the other teachers uh, that that should be reserved for a different show mm. now that we're looking mm. at false teachers what mm. what is your take mm. on false teachers and mm. what they are doing
0: our viewers may be interested to know that the bible addresses the subject of false teachers and false teaching In every book of the New Testament except one, the book of Philemon. That the New Testament takes seriously the danger and the error that can be posed by false teachers and their teachings. That every book aims at doing two things. Number one, grounding believers in what is true number two warning them about the danger of false teachers and their teachings look at jesus and his ministry talk about the apostles like peter like paul like john all these people not only describe such errors and such teachers but they explain the spiritual and other types of harm they cause not just to individuals but especially to the body of christ Wherever you see, the apostles are not just instructing believers on what to believe or what to know. But they are gathering information. They are correctly seeking to understand and analyze the teachings of these false teachers and the arguments behind them. And they have three reasons why they do that. Number one, to answer the error. Number two, to warn the body of Christ about the danger of these teachings. Number three, to call those who are spreading dangerous error out of this erroneous teaching to repentance and true faith. That's what you see in the New Testament. The apostles are not afraid to identify who these teachers is, are, rather to describe them by their characteristics, whether in terms of doctrine or behavior or practice, but even more importantly, calling the church to test them, to understand them, to identify them, that they may respond and answer them effectively. The New Testament, if you remove warnings uh, uh, about false teaching and the call to diligence concerning false teachings, you almost don't have the New Testament. It might surprise you that just as we began to speak some time back, That the Bible describes about nine categories of false teachings. False gods, false Christs, false spirits, false teachers, false apostles, false prophets, and and so on and so on. That every book of the New Testament that you open and read is warning about the danger of false teachers, is warning about those who spread deception, and is calling the believers to practice discernment, to know what is true differentiate it from what is not and most especially to answer and defend the faith in the face of false teaching this is a subject that is extremely serious many times i meet people who tell me why do you waste your time talking about false teachers and pastors and prophets you mean you don't have what to do and i listen to these people and i wonder are you saying that i should not do this And what would you say about Jesus? About the Apostle Paul? About Peter and John? And all these were inspired men of God that we emulate and whose teachings and doctrines we seek to follow today. Not only do they identify them, but they even call them out by name and expose them. Meaning that talking about uh, false teachers is Christian, it is biblical, and in fact it is loving. Because it is done for the sake of the benefit of the congregation that often become victims of false teachers and their false teaching. When you look at the Apostle Paul, for instance, not only does he express concern that false teaching is there, but he is quick to point out people like Alexander, like uh, Jimenas, like uh, Deutrefs, people who are distorting doctrine and causing confusion and chaos to the body of Christ if there is anything that the bible takes seriously it is the subject of false teachers and their false teaching and so when we address it tonight we are trying to step in the footsteps of the apostles we are trying to be biblical and faithful in that we are trying to be christian by addressing these topics and in fact the reason we address them is because we love you we love the church we want god's people to be built up in christ to know the only truth that sets captives free and that is why the apostles were not ashamed to speak about this you read second corinthians chapter 11 and the apostle paul says i am afraid i am concerned that you brothers you corinthian believers are about to be led astray and why in verse 4 he says that for if someone comes and preaches another gospel which we did not preach to you you will believe him If someone brings a different uh, Jesus or a different spirit you easily accept them he talks about the danger of another Jesus a different gospel a different spirit and he says brothers unless you learn how to discern the false teachers you are about to be led astray just like Eve was deceived by the serpent in our last session we saw the Apostle John in first John chapter 4 not only warn about the danger of false prophets, but call believers to test the spirits. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The Apostle Peter spends a whole chapter, chapter 2 of Second Peter. He spends the whole of that chapter discussing the doom, the depravity, the deception of false teachers. In fact, when you look at 1 Peter chapter 2. He opens it in a very interesting way. Uh, Let me quickly read it and you hear what Peter says. He says that, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies or teachings, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Do you hear what the Apostle Peter is saying? Number one, he says that just as there were false prophets among the people, he looks back into the Old Testament to see the warnings that God gave to the nation of Israel concerning false prophets. And he says, just as it was in the Old Testament, there will be false teachers among you. Note that word will. Meaning that this is going to happen and whether you like it or not, it is something that is bound to be just as it was before. But who are these teachers? And why does Peter call them false teachers? Number one, he says that they secretly introduced destructive heresies. And the key word in this phrase, by the way, is not even destructive heresies. The key word here is secretly. You see, these teachers are not just trying to do it so that you can see that they, they know how to deceive. These guys are smart and subtle. They do it secretly that if someone doesn't have discernment, they may not even realize that they are being led astray. Many times we think that a false teacher is somebody who is maybe has an ugly face. When you see him and see a huge nose, you will say, oh my goodness, this one must be a false teacher. But what we don't realize is that false teaching is subtle. It is something that comes unawares. It comes on tiptoe. Most of these false teachers are inspiring communicators. When they speak, you say, Oh my God, what took you so long to preach to us? (laughs) Most of these false teachers are loving. They will love you more than your own mother loved you. And you start saying, I wish I had known before. I would have followed this guy before. But what you don't realize is that while they bomb you with a lot of love and inspiring motivating communication underneath what they are saying peter says they introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign lord who bought them bringing swift destruction listen to what he says in verse 2 many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute the sad part is that many people always have a tendency to follow teachers who are false jesus was right when he said that broad is the way of those that go to destruction and narrow is the way of those that go into eternal life many people today think there are at least three characteristics they use to describe a what they think is an anointed man of god They think that he must be followed by masses, he must have a large crowd, and if someone is being followed by thousands of people, they think that makes him a man of God. Number two, he must have money. If he's having money, he's hiring stadiums, he's using PA systems of 35 million, everyone says, behold what an anointed man looks like. You see, he has money, he's successful. Number three, they look for miracles. He prayed for me and I got healed. That must mean he's a man of God. Masses, money, miracles are what we call the tests of a man of God today. But did you know that Peter and the rest of the apostles and Jesus himself would beg to disagree with you? While we think that money, masses, and miracles are what makes a man of God, Jesus actually rubbishes all those descriptions. In Matthew 7, verse 15, After he has said that watch out for false prophets. For they come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. The two verses down he says. You shall know them by their fruit. Did you realize that Jesus doesn't say. You shall know them by their miracles. Or their gifts. Or they are speaking in tongues. Or they are drawing huge crowds. Or coming driving posh cars. With the bodyguards around them. None of that is in Matthew chapter 7. Are you thinking that at least miracles are okay? No. In the same book, Matthew 24, 24, Jesus says that false Christ and prophets will come. They will perform signs and wonders, if possible, even to deceive the elect. So because a man of God performs miracles, it doesn't make him a biblical teacher necessarily. He could still be a false teacher. In fact, when you go back to Matthew chapter 7, Verses 21 and 22, Jesus talks about the kind of teachers who will not have a place in his kingdom. He says they shall come to me on that day and they will say, Lord, Lord, we performed miracles, we cast out demons in your name, we spoke in tongues. And Jesus will say, go away from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Now that is very shocking. How can Jesus say he never knew them, yet they did things in his name? They performed miracles in his name. They preached in his name. How is that possible? What Jesus basically is saying is that the test of a faithful teacher of the word of God is not necessarily by the miracles or performances he does. No. Instead, what does Jesus say we should look out for? He says, look at the fruit of their ministry. A good fruit does not bear bad fruit. Look at their doctrines. What is it that they teach? What does their teaching produce in the lives of those who listen to them? What about their character and behaviors? Are they exemplary? Or are they the kind who preach uh, water and then they drink wine? What about their practices? If you look at their personal lives, if you look at their marriages, if you look at their ministries, can you see a test of God's faithfulness? It's not just what they say. You could quote the whole Bible on your way to hell, unfortunately. If there is anybody who knows the Bible, it is Satan. In fact, we are even told that Satan knows who God is and even trembles. But is Satan a Christian? No. Knowledge of the Bible is not enough. Sounding Christian is not enough. Having masses and money and miracles is not enough. As long as you continue to teach things, that dis- deny or distort what biblical teaching is really about. Peter and the rest of the apostles call you a false teacher, and not only do they identify such, but they call them to honest repentance and coming back to God's truth.
1: Now, this is serious. Um, somebody told me that Scripture says that Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. But you want to be surprised that. Even the devil has fishers of men.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, some of these teachers are real fishers of men, but to the devil's kingdom. So you want to to be a little bit careful and to see that there, there is a triple M somewhere. Masses, money, and miracles. Now when you look at the face of the churches today, there seems to be a lot of uncorrected, unconfronted, teachings that are intentionally dragging people into the devil's kingdom. Now we'll be looking at furthermore into false teachers and the false spirits when we return from the break. (laughs) Welcome back from... From this short break, it is interesting that <laughs> we, we, we get to catch up a little a little bit off, off, off the camera and, and discuss a few other things off, off air. But, but nevertheless, we are still discussing false teachers mm-hmm. and false spirits. So uh, l- l- let's catch it up from there, uh, Reverend Rogers. Mm-hmm. What are we doing to confront and correct these wrong teachings? Mm. Because it seems uh, everyone wants to run where there are masses, mm. everyone wants mm. to run where there are miracles, mm. and everyone is working hard. Well, definitely, when you have the money, uh, when you have the masses and the miracles, what will happen is you'll definitely collect enough offerings and tithings, and mm. so you'll have the money.
0: Mm. And
1: everyone desires to run to such kind of places. Mm. So, wh- what exactly are we doing to see that we confront? Mm. the false teachers Mm. in uh, and and the the, the biggest bit happens to be in Kampala City Mm. 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 the biggest bit of of them
0: Mm.
1: most that uh, I'm not sure if the miracles are true but anyway let's first leave that for today
0: (laughs) (laughs) well Emma I I really feel very much burdened for the church especially the church in Uganda today I think we have grossly misunderstood the Great Commission When we think about the Great Commission, we think about mass evangelism. Usually we don't think about what Jesus told us in Matthew 28, the making of disciples, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That what you see happening in the church today is a lot of evangelism and I should say ritualistic service but without intentional discipleship. So you have so many converts who believed Jesus, yes, but cannot tell their left from their right because they have never been grounded in the teaching of scripture. They are very shallow in their understanding of Christian doctrine. They severely lack an understanding of church history and therefore they have no idea where the church is coming from. When you have a church that is full of spiritually immature people, Passionate but not grounded in truth. Soon or later they will be deceived by things that closely look like they are genuine and Christian but actually are not. I'm always reminded by what the Apostle Paul says when he writes to the church at Corossi. In chapter 2 verses 4, he begins rather from verses 1 by describing the necessity for the unity of fellowship for believers. And he says that he wants to ground them in the understanding of Jesus, who is the mystery of godliness. And then in verse 4, he says that, I tell you this so that you will not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Paul is saying that the reason he teaches them scripture, the reason he grounds them in Christian doctrine is so that they will not be deceived. In verse 6, he says, that just as you received christ jesus as lord continue in him and then he begins to talk about how they need to be rooted in jesus how they need to be built up in him how they need to be strengthened and to overflow with thanksgiving and the language he's using there is a language of discipleship it is a language of grounding people in truth of growing them in god's grace Of helping them to understand the what and the why behind their faith. So they can easily understand it, appreciate it, explain it, and guard it. When that does not happen, then what happens is what he says in verses 8. In verse 8 he says, Sit with that no one will take you captive through empty philosophy and deception. And how do you ensure that you are not taken captive? You go back to verse 6 and 7 by being grounded, rooted in Jesus, growing up in him. When God's people are not discipled and growing maturely, they cannot develop discernment. So even when a teacher shows up on TV and opens the Bible and says the Bible says, they lack the skills to test whether what he is saying is scripture or or whether he is paraphrasing what scripture is saying, whether he's even distorting it. Some preachers will say, The Bible says, and then they will say their own things that are not in the Bible. If you have not read your Bible concerning that verse, how can you ever know whether he lied to you or not? If you don't know what the Bible says about marriage, like Matthew 19, where Jesus says, What God has put together, no man should put asunder. If you don't know the permanency of marriage if a preacher comes to you and says that the woman you married is not the one god had intended for you therefore you should divorce her and come and fast for 40 days so that god can show you your own wife do you know that you will happily divorce your wife thinking that you are obeying scripture because you don't know what the scriptures say about marriage we have so many people in church today who hold their Bibles like some secret magic that is meant to protect them from witch doctors, from demons and powers of darkness. Some will even put it under the pillow so that they don't get bad dreams. But what you are left wondering is, do they know what is in the pages of these scriptures? Can they tell you what God's word and will are concerning their faith and their practice? Because if they don't know what is true, how can they ever know what is right? And you see what is also interesting. Let me draw your attention again to what uh, especially Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He talks about something that uh, we I wanted us to address this evening about this, the false spirits. You will notice that behind every false teacher, there is a false spirit. And the work of the false spirit is to confuse and convince so the teacher will be speaking he sounds christian but in him at work is a spirit that counterfeits what scripture is saying that what comes out of him is not what god has actually said and if christians do not have discernment they can't easily discern between the holy spirit and the deceptive spirit and that's why we have many false teachers in our country today Listen to what Paul says here in 2 Timothy 4. Rather in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Paul begins by saying that the spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In verse 2 he says that such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron now if you listen to those two verses for a moment number one you will see that who is speaking here in chapter four the spirit with a capital s meaning the holy spirit so the holy spirit is saying that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and they will follow deceiving spirits small s meaning Spirits that are counterfeit, spirits that are deceptive, spirits that are evil, even though in most cases they pose as though they were the Holy Spirit. What you see in these two verses is what I call three Ds of false teachers. That in understanding false teachers, number one, you always have to remember that these teachers are led by deceiving spirits. That they are not just making mistakes. The kind of teachers we are talking about here are not people who innocently misread the Bible verse or misquote a passage. Every one of us does that from time to time. You may misquote a scripture or you may misread it. We are not talking about teachers who ignorantly or innocently misrepresent or misunderstand the point of what the scripture says. The false teachers we are addressing tonight are those who know very clearly... That what they are teaching is not of God, and yet they still go ahead and do it. They clearly know that they are not serving God by their teachings. They know that the people listening to them are being led into error, and deliberately they still do it. And why do they do it? Paul says that behind the teachings of these false teachers are deceptive spirits. What do deceptive spirits do? They cause them to teach things that are coming from demons. So you have deceiving spirits. You have demonic teachings. But you also have teachers that the Apostle Paul describes as men with dead consciences. That these people have reached a point where they no longer feel guilty when they lie. They say something that they know is not of God and they feel no remorse. They feel no guilt whatsoever. On contrary, actually they take it as a sign of smartness. Their consciences have been seared with hot iron. They can no longer tell right from wrong truth, from error, and frankly they don't care. So Paul is saying here that don't just look at the false teacher and see only that man. Or see an innocent, misled person. No. We are talking about men with dead consciences. Inspired by deceiving spirits. Espousing demonic teachings. And certainly, those three levels cannot lead to the health of any individual believer or church. And that's why it must be a concern for us in this chapter paul will go ahead and describe things they forbid that they forbid things god has allowed while allowing things god has forbidden and he goes further to advise timothy he says timothy if you really want to get rid of these false teachers or to address them number one You need to equip believers to identify and oppose error. We find that in verses 6 and 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Number two, he says believers must embrace godly doctrines. Because godly doctrines and disciplines become the foundation upon which we measure what is true and what is not. He says, Timothy, you must exhort and teach. Now, the word teach here is extremely important. Because one of the reasons that the church has failed in discipling believers is because a lot of what we have in the church is preaching. Now, I'm not saying that preaching is wrong, but preaching is the proclamation of God's word. While teaching creates an environment for interaction, for stretching people's minds, provoking them to think and identify things, Teaching has a way of providing interactive feedback that helps you to know where people are so that you can move them from where they are to where they need to be. When this aspect of teaching is not emphasized, people remain shallow. On the surface they look Christian, they look like they understand the Bible until they are faced with a situation where crisis And then they realize that their theology is falling to pieces. And that is why believers, especially pastors, have a responsibility to equip believers, not just to say, I believe in Jesus, but to know the why you believe in Jesus. To know how to communicate that which you believe about your Savior Jesus. And so Paul tells Timothy that he is to exhort and teach. And more beyond that, he is to exemplify truth by his life remember we said that one characteristic of false teachers is that you will see them living a discrepant life but when you look at their lifestyle their behavior they will often contradict the doctrines of the christian faith and so peter rather paul challenges uh, timothy and he says that don't just teach and preach the word exemplify it let people see you model the christian faith if you tell people to believe they should see that you are believing If you tell people to give, you should be the first person to put in the offertory bag. If you ask people to fast, don't let them fast while you are enjoying some samosas. If you ask people to sacrifice, show them how it is done. Christian life is not just a matter of belief. It is also a matter of behavior. And we see Paul emphasizing this very carefully. In fact, when you come to the end of this chapter, he says that Timothy watch your life and doctrine closely persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourself and those who listen to you he summarizes the passage with two key things number one watch your life as a christian how do you live number two your life remember flows from what you believe your doctrine So your beliefs and your behaviors. Paul says, Timothy, as a Christian leader, you must watch them. And there are consequences. He says, if you watch them closely, you will save your life and that of those who listen to you. So what happens if you don't watch them closely? The reverse is true. You will lead those who follow you into error. You will destroy yourself by believing a lie. And in fact, the verse before that Paul says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself holy to them, so that everyone may see your progress. These are serious matters. Paul considers them of critical importance. That he writes to Timothy, not only warns him of the danger of false teachers, points out that false teachers work by deceiving spirits and demonic teachings, And then tells him how he is to respond if he is to protect the congregation that he was overseeing at the time. And what does he tell him? Equip the believers to discern, ground them in biblical doctrine and godly disciplines. Encourage them, but also teach them biblical truth. Model for them what the Christian life looks like. And remember, your doctrine and your life matter as a Christian. You must watch them.
1: I don't know if where, where the place of, of teachers is as far as church is concerned today. Because in almost the churches where we go to and the different fellowships, all that is done is preaching and proclamation. Mm-hmm. So there's no place for questions. I've not mm-hmm. yet been to one fellowship, one mm-hmm. church, where the pastor reaches a point and says, now, can I receive a question or one or two? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. been to any of
0: those. Yes, I know a few churches that are very intentional on interactive Bible studies who provide opportunity in the church service for believers to interact. And frankly, I believe that that's what church is supposed to be. You see, Christianity is a rational, reasonable faith. We are called to love the Lord our God with our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Christianity is a thinking religion. It is established on facts and in history that you can always find out the truth whenever you want to. The problem with church today is that church has been reduced to emotionalism. That today people measure the anointing by the amount of the sweat on their forehead. After they have danced to some powerful praise and worship, they say, oh my goodness. This service was very anointed. But most of them were just jumping. They didn't even take time to think what are we actually talking about? Recently I saw a video clip where a church congregation had sticks and they were caning the devil and they were in the compound and they were caning devil we can you and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, it looks nice and charismatic and everybody feels like we have won, but have they really caned the devil? Does the Bible even ask us as believers to cane the devil? Is that biblical? No. But is it emotionally exciting? Yes. For many of us today, it's like when we come to church, there is an invisible sign on the door saying, do not think the pastor has already thought for you. Now, when you have people who enter the church and leave the brains behind, all they do is say I receive and carry chairs and and whatever it is that is near them. Sometimes I'm scared that one of these days someone may just carry me up accidentally <laughs> thinking they were carrying a chair. Very exciting, great. But do they walk out of this church having understood who God is that they worship? Do they walk out knowing more of his word than they knew before they entered? do they walk out having thought about what it is they believe and how it relates with the rest of their life in the day-to-day practice if they are not exercising their mind to think through what they are listening to or to have an opportunity to ask questions and seek clarification how are they ever going to grow in their faith and be disciple when you are doing preaching in the church which is good by the way i'm not saying preaching is bad i believe in pulpit preaching more than probably anyone but what i'm saying is that preaching is the public proclamation of god's word it does not provide an opportunity to ask or to question the preacher's motive or what he has said or maybe even to disagree with him yet christianity calls us not just to listen but to interact In fact, we are even supposed to disagree if we are not convinced of what is going on. When you create an environment where believers ask questions about things that worry them, things that they understood, things they didn't understand, you foster growth much faster, you provoke thinking and their minds stretch. You create an environment where people are not afraid to speak out what is hurting them or confusing them. And then as a pastor, you open your Bible and gently guide them into God's truth. But how many churches do you know where today you can stand up and question the pastor, what he meant by a certain verse? Do you know what they will tell you? (coughs) Touch not God's anointed and do no harm to his prophets. Very
1: interesting. Before they touch the anointed man of God, you did mention something about demons and demonology here what is your take on that our time is running so fast (laughs) what is your take on on demons and 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 people who have emphasized so much about demons on pulpits
0: i believe that demons are real and exist because i see them in the scriptures i see jesus cast out demons from many people who were possessed and praise the lord for that One problem I have with the teaching on demons and demonology today is the exaggeration that accompanies it. That church today has overemphasized demons at the expense of true biblical worship that believers are more afraid of what the devil can do to them than what Christ did for them on Calvary when he died and when he rose again on Sunday morning. Instead of finding confidence in the victory of the risen Lord, Believers are always worried about what the devil is going to do. And so they are binding demons in water. They are binding demons in soda. They are binding demons in the taxi before they sit in. They they, they bind demons when they open the door. Before they touch it, they cleanse it with the blood of Jesus. What you have is a people at war. A people in slavery to fear. Yet the reason Jesus died was so that we could be set free from bondage to fear and experience the liberation that comes to children of God. Believers need not be afraid of demons because for starters the scripture says greater is he that is in you than the one that is in the world. Jesus, the risen one who conquered death and the grave, overcame Satan and all his setups, and is now at work in the believer's life, is far greater than anything that demons can do to you. So, if you find yourself in a church service where you spend three hours binding demons and then 30 minutes thanking Jesus for what he has done, what you are doing is not biblical worship in fact you are giving more attention to satan than spending more time celebrating all the wonders that jesus has done i wish you would spend those hours singing great is thy faithfulness oh to god be the glory great things he has done but what are we singing instead <laughs> as though satan even needed the seat to sit on <laughs> Biblical worship is God centered. It is not Satan centered. (laughs) There is a place for delivering people who are demon possessed, of course, because church life is holistic. You address every aspect of the human being. But when you overemphasize demons, you only create fear and you just make people put people in bondage to what Satan could do. And you see, some of the pastors today enjoy that. Because when they create an atmosphere of fear, they don't stop there. They also pose themselves as the saviors who can deliver you from that fear. And once they have succeeded at convincing you that they are the only ones who can really deliver you from those demons, then they will say, but for you to come for deliverance, come with an envelope. The reason you are not being set free is because you don't give. It's because you have not sown a seed and so on and so on. And that reminds me of what we were reading about in 2 Peter, by the way. Peter not only talks about the danger of false teachers, but he reminds us why they do these things. In verse 3 he says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Do you hear that? What is the motive of the false teachers? Greed. How do they get money from their members? Through fabricated stories. And that's what concerns Peter. No wonder he says their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And their destruction has not been sleeping. A lot of what we hear about demonology is not that everyone you come across is demon possessed. But it has become a forum of enslaving people and making them do whatever it is you want them to do. If you manage convincing me that I'm possessed by a demon. Whatever you tell me to do so that I get delivered, I will do it. Even if you ask me to kiss your shoes, I will kiss them and and, and make sure that I get delivered from that (laughs) demon. At the end of the day, it just promotes the popularity of the pastor, increases the fear of the believer who no longer has assurance in the finished work of Christ Jesus. And that is really sad. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this is something that concerns you too. That we live in an era where there are many people who claim to be faithful teachers but are actually false. And you should know that there are consequences to believing false teaching. Peter has said that their condemnation has not been sleeping. In fact, it has long been hanging over them. We need to be diligent that we don't just become passionate about Christian faith and the excitement it brings. But we become keen to test these teachers and their teachings. To be sure that what we are hearing is biblical, what we are hearing is true, what we are hearing is faithful to the teaching of scripture. And only as we learn more of God's truth shall we find freedom for our lives. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free.
1: Just as we jump out a quick one, where do motivational speakers fall?
0: Well, uh, if they are... Because some of them are in churches. Yes, and that is the sad bit. I wish they were just comedians because then we would pay them to have fun and that's okay. Mm. But when someone claims to be a man sent by God, to be speaking from God about matters of eternity and all they are doing is exciting people in excitement that is not grounded in truth. Such a teacher is in error. Such a teacher misleads the innocent brothers. And as Peter has said, their judgment has long been waiting. I hope that we can learn to accept people on our pulpits that are serious, that are faithful, that are truthful, and not bringing drama to the pulpit. But preaching a Christ-centered, Bible-centered, God-glorifying message that edifies God's people and brings glory to God.
1: To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at AfricanApologetics.org.